Hey, Andy, how's it going? Hey, Sean, um, very well, thank you. Um, such a such a pleasure to be talking to you as well. Oh, well, thank you. And where are you based? Uh, I just live out in East London. Um, it's it's near lots of prisons, so it's quite good for work. Oh, yeah, I've, I've spoken a few of those prisons, I think. What <laughs> got you interested in prisons in the first place? Uh, so, I mean, I think the kinds of questions I talk about, um, uh, questions about what freedom really means, whether freedom is something that it's, it's more important to be mentally free or is it more important to be physically free, questions about time, whether time controls us or we control time, questions about power, shame, hope, home. They're, they're questions I think that are important to every life every person on the planet but i think maybe f for some people in prison those questions can sometimes feel a bit more urgent sometimes so so it always felt like philosophy was a uh an interesting thing to take into prisons but but i suppose the reason that prisons uh are a kind of preoccupation for me is just growing up uh, my dad was in prison my brother was in prison my uncle was in prison uh, you know, I'd go to my nan's East London council flat on a Sunday afternoon and there'd be lots of stories about the landing, you know, often shared for kind of entertainment value. You know, Christmas Eve, when I was six or seven, go visit my brother in prison. And I think if you've, if you've seen that world, if you've glimpsed that world or gl glimpsed the edges of it as I had, um, it really stays with you and you come out and you, you know, you're you'll know this so much from your own experience i'm sure but you come out into ordinary life and polite society and whatever and people just don't really know that that place exists behind that wall so um i always felt this after my childhood i always felt this kind of uh it always felt very important to not forget uh about those experiences um so i guess that was another reason why i went into prisons as well which came first in your life then, the philosophy or the prisons? <laughs> well, I was visiting, um, you know, visiting my brother in prison when I was six or whatever. Uh, I, I kind of, you know, I finished school having failed pretty much everything except two GCSEs, which, to be honest, was pretty good. You know, my parents were pretty chuffed considering uh, what I was expected to get. Um, I, 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 I met a philosophy teacher um, uh, a year or so after that. And, you know, I was a very kind of alienated teenager. I was very oppositional, argue with everything. Uh, you know, wasn't happy with the world as it was, wanted to take everything apart, wanted to kind of, I was very stubborn, uh, very argumentative. And the thing is that will get you thrown out of most classrooms, except a philosophy classroom where it's actually quite good, you know, to, to be at odds with the world, to, to see things differently, to, to find everything a problem. And, and he kind of had the patience to see that underneath, you know, all of that, the way I was, there was actually something that could be molded there. And, and he gave me a lot of time and support. And, um, and then I went on to do philosophy at university after that, which was great. So when you are teaching it to prisoners, then you know, some of this language, the vernacular, like Kant, for example, critique of pure reason, 
Um, I tried reading that in prison and I just ended up throwing it against the wall. <laughs> so how, how do you distill these concepts down for the prisoners? Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of philosophy teaching and a lot of teaching in general actually just fails because teaching people answers to questions that they haven't asked us. Um, and I think what you have to do is you you have to start a lesson with with some kind of story or some kind of stimulus that makes people want to ask questions. And then later on, when you're bringing in the philosophy, they've got a hunger for it. They, they want to know, oh, this guy Hobbes, does he think the same thing as me? Or, you know, am I more like Rousseau or whatever? But so I think using stories that keep that keep the philosophical problems very immediate, you know, you've got different men on the ship in the odyssey for example when odysseus is trying to get home so i so i tell a, a a story an episode from the odyssey and i ask the men which of the men on the ship were the most free and then we get into a discussion about who was free then we kind of realize we need some definition of what freedom actually is then i can say oh well this is what epictetus thought that freedom was or this is what Isaiah Berlin thought that freedom was and by that stage they're saying yeah that's what I said that's what I said so rather than it feeling alien to them you've you know you've you've built it up you've contextualized it in such a way that um people can connect with it so what is your definition of freedom <laughs> what's my well I'm always I'm always torn between two two poles actually and I think I think working in prison has um has made this worse for me. This <laughs> made me more confused about it because um, I, I think I've met people who um, have a very impressive and humbling, just mental fortitude, just focus, just that quite stoic um, idea that it doesn't really matter where I am. It doesn't matter what's happening to me. It's all about how I respond to it. So, you know, people who, you know, there's, there's, there's a man, um, in in my book who i call wallace who you know he he'll be banged up 23 hours a day um in a prison and then on the hour they open his his cell door he'll just stay on his bed reading and he won't go out and that's because for him freedom was a totally mental thing it wasn't to do with movement it wasn't to do with whether you were allowed out or not he he made it a totally mental thing and i find that very impressive i also think there's another side of me that thinks to be free, we have to live in a in an environment and a society that allows us to be free, that that doesn't restrict us, that doesn't try and uh, block us from having knowledge and insight and access to the truth um, that doesn't, you know, impede on us. So I'm kind I kind of go between those those two things. Um, I haven't figured it out yet, basically. That's interesting because in prison, I clicked up with this old guy who was a banana crime family, multiple homicide murder, doing 140 plus years. And he comes in my cell one day and he introduces me to like Norman Mailer, John Updike, Tom Wolfe, mm, all these authors. Mm. And he was a natural philosopher. I actually wrote his life story. I called it the Mafia Philosopher, two Tonys. And he said, mm. when I read one of these books, like Tom Wolfe takes me to some mansion in New York. Or John Updike takes me to the pyramids of Egypt. Mm, 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 and, you know, I can see the stones. Or I'm in this mansion and there's the marble floors. And 
I'm out of the fucking cell, man. I'm not in. Mm. This gets mm. me out of here. You know, I'm doing mm. life. But when I'm on these journeys with these authors, it's like he's mentally free, which ties into exactly what you just said. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a few people asked me, um, you know, do, do you think you transformed any lives as a, as a teacher? Do you think, you know, people have found redemption or whatever or some kind of salvation in philosophy? And I don't know if it's just my background, but I'm quite inured to all that i'm quite i'm quite numb to all those kind of grandiose stories of transformation i think what people need is something there in the moment and um there was a there was a guy who came up to me at the end of one class he he'd been inside i think by this stage he'd done two very long sentences and i think he'd he'd been inside over 20 years and was very detached wasn't interested in making new friends kept himself to himself but kind of really engaged in this philosophy class. And he just left me a note on my desk at the end before he walked out. He didn't say anything. And it just said, um, two hour holiday. Um, and it was just, you know, as, as the men in that prison often described a visit, as a two hour holiday. This was just, um, this was just an escape. It was that, you know, being with Updike, it was walking on those marble floors. It was being in the desert. It was, it was being somewhere else mentally and that, and, you know, that's that's what I say to people when they ask, you know, has anyone ever turned their life around? I'm like, no, but this guy had a two hour holiday. And that's that's kind of more the point, really. Yeah, because everything, the value of everything is magnified in prison. So it's golden, you know, to have a visit. It's golden to receive mail. It's golden when someone comes in and offers to spend their time teaching you something. Just, you know, it, it, it's so precious. And I don't think the public understand how valuable that is to the inmate population so you know we all salute the work you are doing have you found then that particular um, schools of philosophy genres resonate the most for example with me it was perhaps the stoics epictetus marcus aurelius mm -hmm. because if the origins of some of them you know was slavery they've got to develop this mindset that a, a prisoner can use because he's in, you know, there's parallels. Yeah, Epictetus was a slave, wasn't he? And, you know, the Stoics were about, you know, how can we live a good life even though the tyrant is here and can chop our heads off at any second and take our freedom? And that stuff, that stuff often really, really connects. Um, a big thing, a big, um, a big topic is uh, free will and determinism uh and uh this idea of whether our choices are our own or whether we're just we think we've got choice but actually we're just acting out some deterministic path set down by you know it could be god it could be newtonian physics and, and the, the the physical laws of the universe the laws of nature all that kind of stuff um and people are very split on that. I've been doing a few classes on that recently and people either really passionately believe in that they have free will, which, which often, which often surprises people on the outside because they've, they've all seen the Shawshank redemption where, you know, in that world, all the prisoners say they're innocent, but actually I, I mean, most people in prison, I know, uh, you know, they'll take almost too much responsibility for their crime. They'll, they'll say, yeah, it was me. I can't blame anyone else. Um, or I also meet people who believe life is entirely out of our hands and it's all determinism. 
I had I had a guy who came up to me recently and he said, are you the philosophy teacher? And I said, yeah. And he said, mm, I used to think the reason I was in here was because I was predestined to be here. But <laughs> I've thought about it some more and I think I need another explanation. <laughs> Can I come to your class? <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Dostoevsky and nihilism? Yeah, we look a bit at um, we look a bit at the idiot. So um, this idea, Dostoevsky, you know, he wrote this big old book um, called The Idiot, and it's about this man called Prince Mishkin, and um, he he lives in this world where everyone is corrupt, everyone lies, everyone steals, everyone is driven by their own ego, everyone's betraying the people they claim to love. And he, he comes in and he's a kind of, he's almost like sort of Jesus-like. He's kind, caring, empathetic. He forgives everyone no matter how much they wrong him. Um, he continues to be kind even to those who are cruel to him. And Dostoevsky said that if someone like this existed, if a truly good person existed in our world, we would think he was an idiot. <laughs> and um, I had a discussion about this with some guys um, in a prison a couple of years ago. And um, we were talking about whether whether Prince Mishkin should sort of leave leave that scene or, or whether he should kind of play the same game that they're playing, whether he should change or not. And we kind of, one, this guy kind of said to me, I think Mishkin just really wants to be a kind of three-dimensional human no matter what, even like even if everyone else around him is playing games and i said well what do you mean and he said well for me the weird thing is when i'm outside of prison i feel very two-dimensional because everyone knows i'm an ex-prisoner everyone knows i've got a rap sheet and so every time i you know just lend someone a fag or do something nice for someone or offer someone a lift they always kind of narrow their eyes at me and think what's this guy playing at what's he about is is this some kind of plan and I'm always kind of flattened into that criminal identity. Whereas on the landing, if I lend someone a fag, it's just like, oh, thanks, mate. And I c I'm kind of, a, I'm, a, I'm allowed to be a kind of kind person on the landing and it's not, it's not a big deal. And I, I, in a way I feel more three dimensional in here on the landing with all these criminals than I do outside, you know, in, in polite society. So yeah. It, the thing I love about the class is we're always going to some really interesting, unexpected places. And, and often for the person talking, it's a bit unexpected as well. So it's always quite live and spontaneous. So another genre that resonated for me was the existentialists. And I particularly oh, like yeah. the harrowing and dark novels written by Camus. Yeah. Yeah. So I became really interested in Camus um, working in prison because... Um, my uncle, uh, kind of self-styled raconteur, kind of old East End villain, was away for um, kind of non-residential burglaries, you know, did about 10 or 12 Woolworths with his mates, stealing cigarettes or warehouses, that kind of thing. Um, he, he first went away when he was 14. He was remanded for three months in a bore store. And then by the time he got to court, he was kind of thrown out. The judge said, what's going on here? But he was he was back in no time, but he was very defiant. He was very rebellious, um, and 
you know, uh, wouldn't march down to collect his food when the when the officers called him. And they just kept layering more and more punishment onto him. And one thing they did was um, they put him in the seg. And in the morning in the seg, the guard wakes you up, the officer wakes you up, gives you a shovel and takes you outside. And you, for him, he had to, my uncle had to dig a hole eight feet deep in the ground and then cover it back up at the end of the day. And then next day, eight feet deep and cover it back up. And the next day, eight feet deep and cover it back up. And I said to him, I was, I was, he was telling me this story and I was like, did you not just swing a shovel at someone's head? Did you not just go mad or break down in tears? And he said, what I did in the morning when they bought me my shovel, I just stood up and I said, are we digging holes today? I love digging holes. Can we start now? Can we do it now? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I just, I just pretended that I loved it, you know? <laughs> and then and I'm kind of, I'm walking home, you know, trying to think about this, thinking, is he, is he bullshitting me or like what? And I thought about Camus because Camus tells a story that's very similar to that. And it's the myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus, he's condemned by the gods. The gods don't like him because he's a rebel as well, because he's always kind of cheating the system and being cheeky. They, they make him push a boulder up a hill up a mountain and then it rolls back down and then they make him push it back up and it rolls back down they make him push it back up you know they're, they're trying to break his spirit but Camus says Sisyphus is a hero because he knows that this task is futile he knows the boulder's going to roll back down the hill but he pushes that boulder with happiness in his heart <laughs> he pushes it with joy and he uses the thing that was supposed to break him he uses it to build him instead and I thought, oh, that's, that's what my uncle was doing. So the, the book is full of stories like that, where I, I talk about Sisyphus, say, in prison, and then I'm talking about it with my uncle, try, trying, to, trying to understand the world of prison, but also trying to understand my family history a bit as well. All right, so viewers, if you've got any questions, put them in. I know a few have come in. I've, I've just got one more subject to discuss, and uh, we can go over to the, these questions with Andy. So I recently interviewed one of the founders of the California Aryan Brotherhood. He'd served 45 years. He'd been shot 22 times. Remarkable story. He dropped out the gang when they started to sanction the murdering of family members, women, kids, uh, you know, husbands, wives, that kind of thing. So, uh, but I asked him about the literature, the Aryan Brotherhood, you know, like required reading. And one of my favorite philosophers was in there, Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, now Nietzsche he's had a bad rap hasn't he because he was commandeered by the Nazis after he died kind of and, and he's got this association with Hitler and this but he he wasn't that wasn't his school of thought was it Nazism it was it was the quite the opposite what, what what's your interpretation of, of Nietzsche's you, yeah yeah you're fine you're, you're about to give us your thoughts on Nietzsche yeah. uh yes so um basically uh, his sister wrote in a lot of anti-Semitism to his uh, writings after he died. And he, he said, because a lot of his, his, a lot of his writing is about trying to reclaim power, uh, particularly the power that he thinks uh, religion has taken from us uh, in the form of teachings like original sin that are a lot about um, making everyone feel ashamed and guilty of who they are. He said that, you know, guilt, it, 
leaves us with a kind of debt and and that feeling that we owe people something he's saying we should shrug that off and we should reclaim a kind of power in life um now i think that's what the nazis found attractive because it's such a power hungry kind of uh ideology um but nietzsche said that you know people will misunderstand what i'm saying and people will bad things could be done in my name so even he was a bit aware of it how responsible he is for that is is an ongoing discussion really yeah wasn't his sister's boyfriend like a nazi in the making it was before nazism but he had the kind of viewpoints. yeah yeah it's uh, the preliminaries the kind of brewing anti-semitism and that kind of stuff yeah so matthew steeples has asked for your thoughts on oscar wilde and the raven <laughs> um so yeah oscar wilde um um de profundis is is um one of the i think it's one of the great pieces of, of prison literature um uh there's a line in there that really sticks with me so this is this is the the long letter he wrote from from reading jail and he says um, being in prison has made me realize that i don't fear um my heart breaking because hearts are made to be broken what i fear is my heart turning to stone while i'm here and um you know sometimes i'm in prison and uh you know i'll hear officers people who've been in the game for 30 years or whatever and they're talking about prisoners on the landing and some of it you know some of it's really horrible the kind of the stuff you hear and you kind of think that's that's the challenge of being here actually is being around this much kind of harshness, violence, corruption, dehumanization, and and keeping your heart open. Yeah, because they came up to me, the prisoners, right away and said, "Look, you got to get that look of shock off your face, or else you're right. going to get preyed on." Um, six months, six months later, I've got dead eyes. You, you, and if you look, yeah. when I got out, I had my driver's license picture taken. I look back at that picture now, and. I, you, just, you can't show any weakness. You you have to turn your face to stone at least, even if your heart might not be turned to stone. But you got to hide it. Yeah, that's that's so interesting because I because I suppose it's one of the privileges I have as a teacher is you know I leave at five p.m. and I'm not behind the door, um, and so I can keep that openness and. I suppose almost as a teacher, you feel like that's your job in the prison is to um, offer that kind of open, that space for kind of openness and, and a sort of positivity that people aren't allowed if they're trying to survive the landing. A little glimpse of humanity. All right, so your next question is from Mona. Do you have a story of a prisoner who did a total 360 and fully identified and took on the ethos of a brand of philosophy or a philosopher also are the french philosophers more relevant than the ancient greeks mm. um i don't have a story like that you know um you know what i hear a lot of those stories coming out of america um and maybe that's just because it's part of the american narrative this idea of salvation a bit more but also i think you've just got loads of people doing heavy time in america and doing it in quite a static way like um here you know if you get you know our sentences are shorter a lot of people in prison are just it's just death by a thousand cuts like um 
my brother was in 12 times, but it was a three months here and a six months there and a, okay, an 18 months and then back to a three months. And you can't, the thing is, if you're in prison for that long, you can't do anything to change your life. You can just, you can lose your flat and you can lose your job and you can lose your girlfriend, but you can't really, there's no program of like thorough education or anything you can do in that time. Um, obviously I've worked with like IPPs and I work with lifers and stuff and you, you can get your teeth in a bit more there and have more of a long-term impact, but it's part, it's, it's almost how the system's built here. It's built to, to make it hard for people to change. It's built for, uh, it's, it's built to like make it hard for like meaningful, positive, long-term activities to happen in prisons. Right. We've run out of time, Andy. So please let the viewers know where they can find your book and follow you online. Uh, so this is my book, uh, The Life Inside, Memoir of Prison, Family and Philosophy. It's out of Picador. You'll be able to get it in Waterstones or wherever you buy your books. Um, I'm on Twitter. I use Andy W Philosophy. Uh, I sometimes tweet about the things we've discussed in my classes, the themes. I'm often tweeting about prison, tweeting about philosophy, that kind of stuff. All right, let's, st let's stay in touch because um, I do donate a lot of books to prisons and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think I think we could talk about some things together. Yeah. So, huge thank you for coming on, Andy. Really appreciate it, and we salute you for helping the prison population. Cheers. Been great. Have a great evening, guys. Thank you. Bye bye.